Witness Essentials, Episode 3. And now at last, you're in the hearing room. Because after your name was called, you entered the hearing room through the public gallery and the gate or opening that was mentioned in the first episode when we all drew a simple diagram. As you enter, to show respect for the institution, be it a court or a tribunal, the first thing that you do is that you stop talking. Whether or not you nod towards the decision maker depends upon the custom that operates in that court or tribunal. Before giving evidence, you will take an oath or affirmation. So which of the two will you take? This choice was mentioned in episode 2 when talking about signing statute declarations and affidavits. The decision is always yours. It respects your beliefs in the hearing room. One is not better than the other. However, from one community to another, there are different beliefs about that. I remind you that to mask your anxiety, you should wiggle your toes as you either read out the oath or affirmation words on the card that was given to you by the hearing place officer or repeat the words uttered by that hearing place officer. You'll be told to sit down or to make yourself comfortable in the witness box area. It's at that point, before you give any evidence, that you should tell the decision maker of any special needs that you have as a result of any one or more of such factors as physical, psychological, developmental, ethnic, language or religious factors. Courts, like everywhere else, are expected to respect and make due allowance for what we bring into the courtroom. Now the first question that will be put to you is to ask you to state your name. If it's anything slightly out of the ordinary for the community in which you are appearing, please make sure that you spell and then carefully pronounce your name a couple of times so as to ensure that the decision maker hears it, knows it and sees that therefore you are a person with a name that they can both see and say. If you don't achieve that, you'll be known during this hearing as you, the witness, which means that you are somehow less than everyone else who has a name. Now it may be that if you're giving evidence in a jury trial that you recognise one of the jurors. If that happens, you should say to the decision maker, Your Honour, I see that there is something that I need to tell you, but the jury needs to go out first. Once you say that, the judge will either send them out 
or ask your lawyer to get details from you first. What you do not do is blurt out to the judge in front of the jurors that you know the juror second from the left or first from the right in one or other row of jurors. Now, although it was your intention to make sure that your mobile or cell phone was turned off before you came into the hearing room, it's now making a noise that everybody around you can hear. When that happens, simply get it out, turn to the decision maker and apologise and carefully check that it is now turned off. Turning now to the evidence that you will give, it's important that you understand that the weighing of all evidence means that both the message and the messenger are assessed by the decision maker. It follows that how the audience sees and hears you is important, in fact, very important. Therefore, knowing towards whom you should look in the hearing room is something to which you must pay attention. Let's start by pointing out that as the lawyers at the bar table only need to hear you, they're not your primary audience. It is the decision maker or decision makers who are your focus. You must do your best to look towards them, but not at them. And a good way to do that is to imagine a halo above the head of each person and to look towards and around that halo. If there is more than one decision maker, you can also look between them. As you do that, moving along, there is a sense in the audience that everybody is getting your attention. Now, if the decision-maker tells you that you are to look at the lawyers, then, of course, you must follow that direction. But be sure when you do so to look at their halos and in between them. You should avoid any eye contact with the lawyers because that is giving the lawyers far too much control over you. After all, when they're asking questions, you must answer them. They're standing up, you're sitting down. There is an inherent power imbalance between the lawyer at the bar table and you in the witness box, and you ought not to give them any free gifts as they go about their job. Now, while you're doing your job of giving the best evidence that you can, it may be that you can't remember something, something that you're sure is in the notes that you brought with you. When you think that you need to refresh your memory from your notes, you must turn to the decision maker and say, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but it's in my notes, so may I have a look at the notes that I brought with me. Listen carefully to the answer that the decision maker gives you. Another aspect of your um, being ready for the process of being questioned both by your side and any other parties 
is that you should be sure before the questions begin to ask for a half glass of water. Having got it, place that half glass so that when you reach for it, you will reach towards the decision maker or decision makers as you do so, rather than seeming to reach away from them as though you were escaping. You'll recall that when we drew simple diagrams of the typical court or hearing room layout in the first episode, I got you to draw a small square for the witness box on both sides of that diagram. Now, depending upon which side of the hearing room the witness box is in your case, and depending on whether you are right or left-handed, so you will need to place the glass on that side that will have you reaching toward the decision maker regardless of whether picking up the glass uses your dominant hand or your non-dominant hand. Remember that by looking towards the decision maker or decision makers you are showing them the front of your face and thereby exhibiting some confidence in yourself and the message that you're communicating. Now, no matter how confident you are trying to be, it may be that you need a break, time to get away from the witness box when it's not the scheduled time for a break. And the causes of this might be too much stress, you need to go to a toilet, nausea, or relief of chronic pain. There is no reason for you to suffer as a witness and therefore when you need a break, you must ask the decision maker as straightforwardly as you can to have the break now. Likewise, whenever you're asked a question that is unclear, then ask that it is made clearer and or repeated. You should never guess as to what the meaning of a question or questions might be. Now, while you're giving evidence, what contact can you have with other people during any breaks in that evidence? The answer to that is, is that during breaks, such as morning tea, lunch, overnight, or even those special breaks to which I recently referred, you can talk to anyone except when you're being cross-examined. When you're being cross-examined, you should talk to no one. To give the most obvious example, if your cross-examination has started before lunch and it's going to continue after lunch, you must eat your lunch by yourself. By the way, not talking to anyone doesn't just mean face-to-face. You can neither send nor receive text messages from anybody or to anybody, and you must not phone anybody or take calls from anybody while you've been cross-examined. It's possible that while you're giving your evidence, something might happen that causes the decision-maker 
to ask you to leave the room. What's happened is, is that there may be an issue about your evidence that needs to be discussed between the lawyers and the decision maker. You should not treat it as being any actual or implied criticism of you. Now, if you are sent out while the lawyers have a chat, turn your phone on as you go out and wait to be called back. Then, when you're coming back in, do try and remember to turn your phone off. I now turn to a very common occurrence in hearing rooms, and that is is that while you're being cross-examined, the cross-examiner says to you, just answer yes or no. Now, the person cross-examining you has no right to give you that instruction, but it's done all the time by lawyers both experienced and inexperienced. To be quite clear, only the decision-maker in a hearing has the power to direct people as to what to do. That said, if a question can be answered with yes or no or I don't know or I don't remember, then please answer the question in that manner. If, however, it can't be answered with such a simple one or two word answer, then what you need to say is as follows. I can't give you a yes or a no. Do you want me to explain why? You then wait to see what the lawyer does and what, if anything, the decision maker has to say about it. By the way, the phrase, would you like me to explain, or would you like me to say more about that during cross-examination, is a perfectly proper thing to say, providing it, it is actually responsive to the line of questioning. More importantly, if you're going to use that phrase, you must tell your lawyer before the cross-examination starts that whenever you use that phrase, it is an indication to your lawyer that they should take up that question when they get their second go at questioning you that is called re-examination or redirect, that follows the end of the cross-examination. Turning to another problem, sometimes you'll be surprised that you open your mouth and you give an answer, and the moment you give it, you know that it's wrong. Often you have no idea quite why you said what you've just said. When that happens, and it happens a lot, what you must do is to immediately turn to the decision maker and say, I'm so sorry, uh, the answer that I just gave to that question is wrong. Uh, might the, the lawyer please ask it again and this time I'll give the right answer. Now, as I mentioned, you will be questioned by your own lawyer, examination in chief, cross-examined by other lawyers 
and then your own lawyer gets that second chance. Once that's happened, your evidence and your time in the witness box is probably over. Now, it's at this point that one of two things might be said. One is that the magic words being excused are used. If you are excused, then your participation in this hearing is finished. You're free to go. If, however, the words used are that you are stood down, then although you leave the witness box and you may even leave the hearing room, there is a chance that you might be recalled to give further evidence. So you need to listen carefully as to what phrase is used when your evidence is over and you need to check as to whether you are truly free of the hearing or whether there is a chance, however slight, that you may need to come back. In any event, once you've left the hearing room, it's possible, in a few cases, not in the majority, that somebody from the media might want to ask you about your evidence or what's happening in the court case. Now, a free press is a very important part of democratic institutions. While recognising that, in your own self-interest, my suggestion is that you do not have any contact with the media and that you make no comment whatsoever about the case or your role in it. Leave it for the parties to do that and walk away. Having walked away, and now that your evidence is over, you are free to watch the case from the public gallery. Remember, that's that part of the diagram at the bottom of the drawing that we made, and it was through the public gallery that you probably came in order to go into the hearing room and give evidence. By all means, sit in the public gallery to watch the rest of the case. Remember, of course, that you can't talk there, that you can't use your mobile phone, and that if you want to communicate with anybody, you should quietly leave the room, do it outside, and then come back. That then leaves us with some words that it will help you to know the meaning about. The first of those is closed court or in camera. You may well be called to give evidence in a case where the public is excluded, is excluded from the hearing. These are cases in which there are sensitivities that mean that the principle of open court gives way to what are perceived to be greater needs in the justice system to keep people out. An example of that is uh, trials of people for sexual offences uh, where there are children involved. The next thing we need to discuss is questions by the decision maker to a witness or to you. Now in the adversarial system, that is the system that's used in English-speaking countries, there is a general understanding that judges as referees or tribunal members likewise as referees 
do not ask many questions, lest it be thought that they have, quote, got down into the ring with the players, unquote. However, that is not the same as a prohibition upon questions, and judges will from time to time directly ask questions of a witness in order to clarify some point that's of interest to them. In the case of experts, it's highly likely that the decision-maker will want to ask questions of the expert. For those of you who appear in coronal inquests or in public inquiries, there is uh, much more of the idea that the uh, coroner or the person conducting the inquiry can ask questions because those are more inquisitorial types of proceedings. Inquisitorial is the mode of trial typically adopted in European and Asian courts. Suppression or non-publication orders are orders made by the decision maker to prevent the naming of a party or a witness or both or to prevent the reporting of part or all of what has taken place during the hearing. Because such orders are contrary to trying to make the courts as open as possible to the general public, they are usually very carefully drafted so that as far as possible our courts being opened is maintained. Finally, any reference to transcript is a reference to the typed up version of everything that is recorded during the hearing. These days either an audio recording is made or in some places there are special stenographers who are able to take down accurately everything that is said in the hearing room. Now that you know all about what you need to do, both before the hearing and during it, you might be wondering why you also need to know what the lawyers need to do. By listening to the next episode, episode 4, you'll find out.